Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. For the latest in news in and around Fishers, Indiana, check out my news blog, LarryInFishers.com. Sign up for email alerts whenever I post a story. You can do that right on the blog itself. Also, follow my Twitter account, at LarryInFishers. The next speaker of the Indiana House of Representatives will be from Fishers. Todd Houston has represented Fishers in the Indiana House of Representatives since 2012. I spoke with Todd Houston during the morning of Monday, December 23rd. I'm at the Ignite Space in the basement, or actually the lower level of the Fishers Library. It's actually the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. If you'd like to have a tour of the Ignite Space, come any time that the library is open. One of the librarians would be happy to give you a tour. It's my honor to uh, once again uh, introduce Todd Houston, but for the first time I can introduce him as the Speaker-elect for the Indiana House of Representatives. He's represented Fishers for several years, so Todd Congratulations and welcome. Well, thank you, Larry. It's always fun to be here. I, I want to ask you this first question, and I know you may be limited, but I'm, I, I feel a need to ask and see if you can tell me what you can. Uh, you, you're going to be working with Speaker Brian Bosma in, in the coming session, and uh, you'll be sworn in as speaker at the end of the short session coming up in 2020. But to the extent that you can, because I know there's a rule, what happens in caucus stays in caucus, but can you tell us what you can about what happened during that caucus session where the decision was made uh, to make you speaker-elect? Well, um, I mean, it wasn't very exciting, Larry. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, when Speaker Bosma uh, made the decision to, to, to step down, um, you know, I had uh, talked to some of our leadership team, uh, Matt Lehman, who's majority leader, Greg Sturwall, who's our caucus chairman, others, Tim Brown, who's co-chaired Ways and Means with me. Um, and they were all um, unanimously in support. I began making phone calls to all of our caucus members, and uh, luckily they were they were supportive too. So uh, uh, it was that 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 was a pretty uh, you know I said, made a few comments in caucus and and they voted and and that was it so it wasn't too long uh, but it was uh, I, you know I'm very appreciative and of the opportunity and and very um, grateful for the opportunity they provided me. So did you even have an opponent? Or was it was a pretty well. I set? did not. Okay, did. all right. That that says quite a bit right there that uh, it was an almost unanimous decision. Well, I, I kid that maybe that should tell me something, but uh, <laughs> but uh, so no. What, what should that tell you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, just talk a little bit about your role in the upcoming session as uh, you work with Speaker Bosma as you work through the issues. You know, I'm really looking forward to, to this session. I think there's a lot of it. I, Speaker Bosma and uh, our leadership team have provided me with a lot of opportunities over the last few years, and to be a part of a ton of conversations. But there's a lot that because you're, you know, you're in committee, you're doing, you're focused on different bills that that you don't see the broader landscape of what's happening around you. And uh, so this year, you know, in that role, you have to kind of 
shepherd and see all of it. And so uh, I'm looking forward this year to learning more about both the internal processes of, of the legislative process, but uh, also learning more about different issues. You know, I, I've focused so much of my time on on the you know on the committees that you serve on and those types of things that this will be a, a good experience to broaden out my knowledge base and work. You know, one of the greatest benefits of, of being a doing the budget last year was I got to work closely with all 67 members on our side, 33 members on the Democratic side, and really good people. And it was fun to get to know everybody in a deeper, more meaningful way. And I hope to extend that um, this session and sessions beyond. I was surprised because uh, the leader counterpart on the Democratic side uh, didn't ha- – you know, sometimes things get nasty politically. He's basically said, I look forward to working with uh, Representative Houston. And uh, you've always told me you've tried to, to get to the extent you can a good relationship with the opposing party. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Representative Giaquina, Minority Leader Giaquina is a gr- great guy, somebody I really like and enjoy spending time with. Uh, Greg Porter, who was a minority me- member, uh, ranking member of Ways and Means last year, I really enjoyed working with Greg. They're really good people. I mean, you know, I, I, I tell people this all the time. I mean, you know, probably on 90% of the stuff, uh, we agree. And and on the other 10%, uh, we do disagree and we, we, we vigorously argue about it. And we should because they're substantive issues. But that doesn't mean we have to make it personal. That doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful. Um, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. I'll continue to try and do a good job of that. Uh, I, you know, I think it's the I know that they want what's best for Indiana too. There's just a disagreement at times about what the best path forward is and and we can respect you know you have to respect that and and uh, try as the best you can not to make it personal. I won't lie to you sometimes in politics or in this life things can feel kind of personal uh, but do the best you can to, to, to rise above it and I look forward to working with. Phil and, and his leadership team, they're, they're good people. As your profile rises, I mean, that that's a good thing in many ways. You have a chance to represent Fishers in a more effective way. You have a, a bigger impact on, on policies and laws and budgets for the state of Indiana. But there's another side to that because scrutiny gets higher, too. You know, we've heard a lot about your um, – relationship with the college board, your work with Tony Bennett when he was superintendent of public instruction. These are things that have been talked about before, but they're coming up again. How are you going to handle this this extra level of scrutiny that's going to come with this job? Well, I'm not sure yet, uh, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. Uh, it's, you know, I think anybody tells you that's not hard is, is being disingenuous. You know, now, the, the fact of the matter is, is I, I try and focus on the people that know me. And, and you know, it, there are a lot of people that can go right and, and opine about you and and, uh, I, and they don't even know who you are. I mean, you know, or I don't even know who they are. So uh, I try and focus on the people that know me. Um, you know, obviously, first and foremost, that's my family, my friends, the constituents I serve, the members I serve with. Uh, I'm sure there will be things, and there probably have been things written about me that I, I don't really care for. Um, and um, you know, you have to figure out a way to put it behind you. But um, again, I'm, that, that's that's always a challenge, and we're all human, so uh, we all wish everybody just wrote nice things. But I get that that's just not part of the process. Happens to journalists too, but it does. <laughs> it happens to all anybody. That's, and I, I always say, Larry. I mean, you know, I, I think as I've grown into to this role uh, that I, I always think about 
coaches, you know, and, and the amount of criticism they take and, and how, and I'm as guilty, right? I mean, I'll go to a, a, a sporting event and, and uh, a pro game or college game. And, and uh, I always think, man, you know, it's so quick to and easy to judge those people or the, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've never made a bad decision from my sofa. So, uh, uh, so, so, uh, or on, or on uh, social so I, media. I, yeah, exactly. Or on social media. So, so I get the fact that it's easy to criticize and, and, uh, but you gotta, you gotta do, you know, I, I say to people all the time, you know, I'm going to do what, what I think is right and, and do it for the right reasons. If you do the right things, the right reasons, you'll get the right places. I believe you were first elected to the House in 2012. Am I remembering that correctly? That's correct. So you're going to come in as speaker uh, with a little less experience than some of the other – a lot of the speakers in the past of both parties, and Democrats had their times in, in the last few decades of, of running the House. And uh, normally the speaker comes up and had a lot of years of experience. You've kind of admitted, okay, you don't have all those years of experience. So how? I mean, do you think this is going to make it more difficult for you to to uh, get up to speed, or will you be able to to do that with the experience you have and what you've seen so far in the General Assembly? Well, I think that's nice about this year is I get a little, I get another chance to to see uh, up close. Um, I think the fact that. I, I'm going to learn along the way is okay. Um, that you know, Speaker Bossa has given me a ton of opportunities in the last few years to be to watch and be part of those conversations. And so, but you know, but look, it's going to be a learning process for me. And and I think I've got some really good. I've got some great teammates. I've got great people around me. And uh, I, I, I would be the first to admit again. I'll make mistakes. We'll learn from them. We'll move forward. As you know, on Organization Day in, in November, thousands of teachers descended upon the State House for the for that particular day. Now, last year was the budget session, but uh, as you saw, you were there, obviously. Uh, teach, teachers are becoming much more vocal about their both their compensation and the working conditions, particularly the valuation systems, how the the, the involvement the state has on that. Uh, also, some ex, some other issues which have been resolved by the governor. I won't get into all the vagaries of that unless you wish to do so. So my question was, uh, will be on that. As you come up with this short session, which is not normally budget, but sometimes financial situations come up and are dealt with, what is your view on whether or not that issue should be dealt with in this legislative session? Well, let's take a step back. I mean, I think the first thing I note is I, you know, I was really pleased. Last year, we were able to put another $763 million in the, in the K-12 education. We, uh, Larry, it's 50.2% of the Indiana state budget. Um, between state, federal, and local sources, we spend th- about $13.2 billion in education uh, in Indiana. So um, I think, you know, I'm really pleased with, I think nobody could ever say we're not making an investment, that this isn't a priority. I don't know a single member that this isn't a priority for. So uh, again, on both sides of the, of the aisle. So I think we have some interesting things. I think, first of all, uh, Governor Holcomb has a teacher compensation uh, panel, and, and they'll provide recommendations next year. I think it'd be wise to wait on those recommendations. Uh, two, I think we've got uh, you know, I, I've looked around the state where it's awesome. We're seeing some really good raises given the teachers, including in our community and, and other communities throughout the state. So I think that's really, really encouraging. Uh, I think I've talked to people across the state. I think that trend's going to continue. Uh, we're, we're waiting to get the, the data uh, from um, 
the Indiana Education Employment Relations Board about what's really taking place. But, you know, I, I think we've made a huge commitment. We, we've shown our huge commitment. We'll address a couple of things, as you said, uh, this coming session about the hold harmless for schools um, in relationships to their, their letter grades and, and the decoupling of test scores from teacher evaluation of, if, if schools uh, want to, I know that will be an independent school to school thing. I think the biggest challenge we have to think about in all this is, and what worries me about some of the rhetoric is, it's getting awful close to people saying, you know, well, the state should just take control. And I, you know, I believe that, that the power of local control. And I was on, as you know, the local Hamilton Southeastern School Board um, in the past. And, and I think the, the compensation decisions and, and uh, should be made locally and not mandated by the state. We provide funding, but how it's split up and how it's divvied up, the, the number of teachers, the number of administrators, uh, teachers per class, for, I mean, uh, class size uh, issues, those are all local control issues rightfully where they should be. So, uh, I, you know, and, and by the way, communities like ours and so many other communities around the state, when they want to address the, uh, uh, if they want to provide additional funding, they have the opportunity through the operating referendum to do that. We've seen communities take advantage of that, um, including our own. And so I think that's a that's an opportunity that, that people um, – you know, who have concerns should should take a look at. I mean, it is ironic that, you know, we, we again, we, we now spend about just in general operating funds, about seven and a half billion dollars from the state to to, to do K-12 education. And um, and then people complain about, you know, how it's sent out. Right. How how it's the, the formula is calculated. And I always tell people, if you really want to control your own fate on how the dollars are used, do an operating referendum because then you you keep all the money. You raise the taxes, you keep all the money. Uh, and uh, so so I think, you know, I think we'll wait to see what Governor Holcomb decides, the, the panel comes back with, so we can make good, strong, long-term recommendations. But I'm, I will say I'm really excited about the, the – uh, we all want to see great teachers being paid more, and I'm excited about some of the things we've seen in, in the contracts I've heard about thus far. brought this issue up the last time you and I talked, and I'm going to ask you about it a little bit different way, and it's about uh, the Attorney General Curtis Hill. That's uh, – his law license is with the court, so I'm not going to ask you about that. But I want to ask you about another report that came out. I believe it originated either from the Associated Press or the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And it had to do with uh, the attorney general maintaining an office in Elkhart. And at least the allegations in the uh, media report was that he was claiming expenses traveling back and forth, Indianapolis and Elkhart. Uh, and there were some other issues about his – use of the, the money, and that's been around for a while, to, to fund his office, remodel offices, how he's paid. The reason I bring this up is not to ask you to to dig down into that. My question for you is when these allegations rise and, and, and people in the media are documenting some of these things, what is the role of the legislature to look into this? Well, I mean, he's a – independently elected constitutional officer so uh, uh, we you know in those specific areas you just mentioned I mean we provide uh, obviously the, the general assembly provides his budget and uh, 
anytime, you know, he will come in front of us. We ask those types of questions. We ask the questions about efficiencies and those types of things. Um, in relationship, now, how we micromanage their budgets, I won't tell you we, we do that. Um, we typically will provide they, – they'll make a request. We'll see what the request is. We may honor that request. We may make changes to it. Um, but we pay attention to all that. Larry, but we also have to understand that, that that's a different office, and at the end of the day, they have to um, they utilize the funds the way they want. And then every four years, he he will he or whoever is in that position will stand for public office, and the General Electric can make um, changes. We we have the opportunity to, to view the budget, and obviously, we can change some of the parameters of of what they do. But uh, we we typically will just uh, uh, you know use those two venues to to monitor the. Yeah, in Indiana, the General Assembly in Indiana, as opposed to, let's say, the U.S. Congress, has not always taken an oversight role. Do you think that is something the state should or should continue should do, or should continue doing things the way they are? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think that's a case by case basis. I mean, we have oversight committees uh, on specific topics. I, I hate to do anything to make a comparison to Congress and the rat hole that goes down. So, uh, uh, so, so I, I think we, we have to be cautious in that. I know, you know, we have like a DCS oversight committee and, and, uh, and, um, and we've created a few, uh, it's a little more challenging when you get into those independent elected officers. Governor Holcomb has announced his agenda for the 2020 session. I've looked at it. The two major items, Seem to be the 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 age limit or the, the the age limit on on buying cigarettes and other tobacco products and a ban on handheld cell phones and vehicles. There are a few others, but I think those are the two major ones. Uh, the the Congress and the, has just passed the president signed into law the increase in the age for cigarettes. Uh, so I don't know if I'm, I guess it would be up to the legislature as to whether you take that up or not. But then there's the issue of of the handheld phones. Um, some people say, these, yeah, these are important issues, but do you think that perhaps – well, let me ask it a different way. Will you and, and, and uh, Speaker Bosma have your own agenda for this session, and to what extent will the governor's uh, uh, agenda impact what you want to do? Well, we always pay attention to the governor's agenda, and um, you know, I think the T21 proposal, which you know, Larry deals as much with vaping, which is mm-hmm. a chronic problem uh, as a – parent of a high school student, I see uh, that that really has driven a lot of the conversation around the T21, the Tobacco 21 proposals. Um, so, I, you know, we certainly uh, work with and, and pay attention to what Governor Holcomb and any governor lays out for their legislative agenda. We'll also have, I, I actually think, and I think it's on Governor Holcomb's agenda too, I think there are a few things that are really substantive. So first of all, um, I think obviously the T21 is a public health issue. I think is a, is a positive thing. Obviously, I mentioned the two education issues around the hold harmless provision and the decoupling of teacher uh, uh, test scores and teacher evaluation. Um, you know, there's some healthcare provisions. You know, I, I go around the state and meet with employers, and I hear time and time again, Todd, the healthcare costs are just killing us, absolutely killing us. So, so we're looking at how do you provide more transparency into uh, pricing so that employers and and the consumer can understand what their what their pricing is. Uh, how much does it cost to have a knee replacement? How much at, at an individual hospital? Uh, how do you make sure you have more transparency in that process? So people are better informed consumers. So I think that's a, that's a, 
you know, very, very important thing that we're going to have to work on both this year and in coming years. You know, this year is a short session. It's a gubernatorial election year. Um, uh, every Obviously, every House member's on the ballot, too. So, so we aren't going to, you know, and, and we only have nine and a half weeks. So, you know, we have a more limited agenda than obviously last year and other years where you have, uh, where you have the budget. But I think we have substantive things to take care of around education, around health care. Obviously, we're going to use some one-time funds to pay for some uh, capital projects, which is huge. It saves hundreds of millions of dollars in, in long-term debt, but it also provides more flexibility in the 2021 budget to be and, and future budgets to be able to support the type of initiatives that we want to um, invest in. You mentioned health care, and there's been a lot of documented in recent months and years that people in Indiana pay a lot more for health care than in other states. Do we know why? No, and I've spent a lot of time trying to, <laughs> to figure that out. Um, you know, it, 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 there, there's a balancing act of all this. It's a complicated system. And, and you know, I don't think there's any bad actors in this system. Uh, we're fortunate to have some really good health care providers in, in our state. But we have to find a way to, to, to get our costs down. Now, some of it deals with, you know, we, I think in 2021, uh, we'll make more investments in public health. And I think that's important. I think we have to help Hoosiers become healthier, but when they go into those types of, um, uh, to, to have medical work done, I think there has to be more transparency in the system. We have to know what we're paying for. Uh, the complication oftentimes leads to, to a muckiness and billing that, that I think people just kind of throw their arms up and go, I don't understand it, so why am I going to shop or why am I going to be a, a better, more informed consumer? So we have to, we have to help them do that. Um, you know, different parts of the state deal with different issues. Obviously, if you live in central Indiana, you know, cost is a big priority. If you live in uh, other parts of our state, access and, and, and um, quality are, are really big issues. So, you know, we have to find that sweet spot working with all the different stakeholder groups, both uh, the hospitals and the providers to the, uh, to the insurance companies. But, you know, I also think employers, I, we have to help employers be better consumers of healthcare. I think a lot of times, you know, I, again, I, and I, I've talked to very successful business folks who, who would say, you know, we just don't even know what we're paying for. And I think we got to make that more transparent because what I worry about is, you know, some of the – we can do a lot of positive things in relationship to creating a really great economic environment for people to come to in Indiana. But if we can't, can, if we can't get control of our health care and energy costs, those are going to end up being such detriments that we're not going to attract the type of companies that are going to bring people and jobs to the state. Also, and whether it's a, you're a teacher or a fireman or you're a, you're a business person, a, a nurse for that matter, you know, is you, so much of your raise is now getting eaten up in your healthcare costs. And that's hugely problematic. I mean, you know, the strongest and most important thing to the to the economy is disposable income. And and when all those dollars are getting eaten up, when all of a sudden, you know, your employer is, is increasing your compensation a fair amount, but all that compensation is seen going to your healthcare benefits, that's a that's a very troubling thing. So so we're gonna take some steps this year, I think that will be positive and then, you know, work on a long term plan. I'm going to, and one more about, uh, question about the governor, because the governor just recently announced in recent days that the state will be accepting more refugees. Uh, are you supportive of that? You know, I, I so to be honest with you, I just saw that the other day, okay. so I don't know uh, enough to, to be fully informed. That's a fair answer to the question. Thanks. Uh, last year, 
and I've you and I have talked about this and corresponded about this over several months. Uh, there was a measure that ended up in conference committee to equalize the local option income tax, particularly as it affects Carmel and Fishers, but of course it had statewide ramifications as well. Uh, just to give you some background for the listeners, uh, Mayor Fadness has said he could fund the entire fire department and a big part of our Fishers Police Department with the funds that he feels are unfairly going to Carmel because our populations are roughly the same. We might even be a little bigger than them now. And uh, he says there's a $21 million deficit there where we should be getting uh, the two cities should be getting about the same amount and they're not there was a proposal in a conference committee in the last session to try to quote unquote fix this or make a difference and the mayor fadness said he was willing to uh, ease this in over a number of years not make a make this a big uh, shock uh, to carmel so the question i have for you was do you expect this to be addressed in the 2020 session yes I think uh, uh, credit to to Mayor Fadness, Mayor Brainerd, Mayor Cook, Mayor-elect Jensen. I think they're trying to work on it to resolve it at the Hamilton County level and then bring us a proposal forward. I've uh, last two years, I've, I've had legislation to, to equalize that, that, that. It's a complicated thing. It's also... Um, your winners and losers in that scenario and and it can either impact depending on the way it's written one county which is ours and and quite truthfully larry nobody feels very sympathetic in the indiana general assembly towards hamilton <laughs> county uh, uh or all counties which adds a level of uh of fear and complication then too but but no I, I've, I have a proposal ready uh that that would uh that would go back and and make necessary changes but from my understandings with the local elected officials uh they're working to resolve it themselves and rightfully so i mean at the end of the day it should be resolved locally i don't think anybody um is trying to get um fat and rich off of this it's just kind of an equalization and and a plan moving forward to, to, to get us back to level to the extent you can tell us, because these conference committees often work in private, what scuttled? Because my understanding is there was a deal on the table, and I know the mayor thought it was very clear, close to being done. You know, he deals with the legislature all the time with his uh, role in AIM, dealing with cities and towns throughout the state. Something happened at the end. Is there anything you can tell us about what did happen? Well, with the last I, minute? I think there were some concerns that the, the, the public policy would have. Crossed, it wouldn't have just impacted Hamilton County, and I'm not sure I, I would full heartedly agree with that, Larry. But but when people believe that that it could have an unintended consequence somewhere else, that uh, it gets skitterish. So um, you know, we we tried to address this. Unfortunately, in 2018, this was in a bill that actually did have a signed conference committee report, but but got caught up in the uh, in the last hours. Um, and, and then wasn't put on for the special session date. Uh, last year, got hung up in conference committee. But you know what I'm most encouraged by is I think, again, I, credit to, to each of the mayors and, and their city councils. And I know, you know, in Fishers in particular, Rich Block has really kind of led those discussions. Uh, I, I think they're going to resolve it locally. It's where it really should be resolved locally. It, sh- it should be. I mean, it's, it's these communities have to live with each other. Uh, they have to, you know, they all border one another. They have projects that matter to each other. So I think, again, hopeful, fingers crossed, that they're going to resolve it. We'll, we'll probably need to put something in statute that that um, that that is the new formula in play that they come up with. 
But I think that's a really positive thing if they figure it out themselves. So you think the the cities themselves will come up with a proposal and they'll all buy into it uh, that that the legislature could adopt? I think so. I okay. think so. I think the the I in I think right now there's a. Uh, uh, there's an acknowledgement that if they don't, I will have my own plan, and that probably won't benefit all the cities. So uh, uh, hopefully they can resolve it, and, and Mayor Fadness, Mayor Brainerd, and, and the rest of the Hamilton County um, elected officials can get to the right spot. Well, that's that, that, that's a very interesting. Thank you. I have one last question. Uh, this you've alluded to this earlier: the tax collection numbers for the state higher than projections just looking at the last fiscal year and the state uses a fiscal year, a fiscal year beginning july 1 ending in june the one that ended this last june uh, as i understand the numbers and correct me if i'm wrong the state took in 267 million dollars more than projected the right. recent months have been pretty good too yeah so what happens in a case like this is is uh, there are many and you've talked about capital projects one time maybe you using that money for that but there are plenty of stakeholders, I guess is the word, who uh, would certainly like to have a, a shot at those funds. Teachers are one of them, but there are many others as well. So do you anticipate adding to the surplus or do you have any particular thoughts, you and the, and the speaker, about where uh, this extra money might go? Well, we, we I think we've laid out that we would anticipate paying for the – it was a – great problem to have it's not a problem but uh that those dollars or one-time dollars will invest them in capital projects that we had planned a bond so there's again substantial taxpayer savings um and it also gives us flexibility in, in budgets moving forward you know it's it's great this next revenue for the revenue forecast we received last friday was again positive it shows there's a lot of positive things going on in the state but, you know, we, we view a revenue forecast to be successful if it's plus or minus 2% to accuracy. You know, so, so I think the increase in revenue is about 07 to 0.8%. So it's not enough that we want to go be irresponsible. You know, I, stability is incredibly important. And for those people that, you know, and I get it. I mean, you know, the hardest part about doing the budget is that you have to tell a lot of people no. Uh, and on, on good and, and probably impactful ideas. But, you know, the difference between a state and the, the federal government is, is we have to balance our budget. We have to be responsible. And for all those people that want us to go spend every dollar we have, they will, they will be the first to criticize when we go through an economic period where we don't have, um, you know, substantial uh, – resources available to, to be able to sustain funding. So, you know, it, it's there's a proper balance between cautiousness and, and, and making the proper investments. What we what we believe to be the case is, is that, look, we can make one-time investments. It's going to give us more flexibility in the 2021 budget and future budgets where we continue to fund our priorities. Um, but, you know, I, I – I think the hard. I said that this was the. It was unique that when you do a budget, you basically feel like you spend the next four months doing like an apology tour, uh, because people, you know, this in in you know, and Frank, quite truthfully, I mean, for a lot of those folks, what I said seven hundred sixty-three percent million dollars in the K twelve education of the new dollars that didn't go to Medicaid, which we just have that obligation, and and to DCS. 70 plus percent of the new dollars went to K-12 education. So, so you know, it's the teach. I, I understand that everybody needs to advocate, but uh, there are a lot of folks, 
who didn't get funding because we made that a priority. And, and, and it's tough to look at those folks and say, you know, we get it. We understand you have concerns. You have a great program. Uh, but, you know, we last session said we're going to put as much money as we can in the K-12 education. And, and that's, that was our proposal. And then in 2021, we'll look at all those different, um, you know, I had a spreadsheet that I think we, you know, it was like we were up to $3 billion in ass. Uh, and you don't have $3 billion. <laughs> Nowhere near that in, in, in choices to make. But, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll, this will give us flexibility going 2021. We'll get uh, – and we'll see where the economy is. And, and we know there are some investments we're going to need to make too. Anything you'd like to add before we uh, wrap this up? No, you know, it's been uh, fun to, uh, you know, do this uh, yearly. Larry, I love representing Fishers. I think it's been a, you know, it's a community that's near and dear to my heart growing up here and, and Denise and, and Elizabeth and Jake being so active in our community. And and um, it's really a privilege to, to, to serve Fishers. And I look forward to serving Fishers in this new role too. Todd Houston is the Speaker-elect for the Indiana House of Representatives. And so, Todd, thanks for your time. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area. So check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.